Welcome to McQuaid Arcade. I'm Barney. And I'm Biggs. Just as they were for movies and games and shows, the 80s were a very special time for toys. A veritable golden age, one might say. Uh, think of some of the big ones from those days. Transformers, G.I. Joe, uh, our reinvented version of it, anyway. Masters of the Universe, Star Wars... These are absolutely some of the most iconic toy lines ever. It was also an interesting time because toys and other media, cartoons and comics and movies became inextricably linked in a way that they just, they hadn't before. Every toy, every successful toy anyway, it seemed like, had a show and every show had a toy. Now the big names, the heavy hitters that we just mentioned, Transformers and G.I. Joe and He-Man, between the shows and the toys and the comics, they all should and probably will have their own episodes devoted to them to, to really do them justice. Today, we're going to talk about some of the other stuff, some of our favorites of the other stuff, the toy lines and the weird one-offs that captured our imagination and held our attention in our pre-Nintendo years, anyway, uh, BNE, the before Nintendo era, <laughs> when toys were just way better than the video games that we had access to at the time, right? Atari, we had the Atari 2600, uh, which was certainly fun. These amazing toys and our imagination usually were a lot more fun. It was this explosion of creativity with toys, as I said, among many other things. That uh, And this is probably going to be Toys of the 80s Part 1, right? Because there's Definitely. so much. There's so many toys that we loved. So many things to talk about that uh, we're just going to start with a few here today. And one thing I want to say before we get into the specific toy lines and those toys themselves is that for especially our younger listeners who maybe don't remember a time of boredom, we were bored. We were this mm -hmm. funny in-between generation. We were not playing outside as much. We didn't have as much freedom as our forebears who kind of got let loose and were supposed to be seen and never heard. But yet we didn't have anything near what the kids of today have in terms of entertainment on demand and vast libraries of video games, movies, shows, you name it. So we were sort of this transitional time where toys held an incredibly important position in our lives. We would sit around and play with our action figures. That's what a play date was we were actually playing rather than just watching a movie together and having snacks so for us these toys became the focus and the centerpiece of our imaginary life they were a way to tell stories to invent new ideas to understand different aspects of technology for especially as toys got more and more sophisticated different moving parts like our transformers and they were also a way that we could share and exchange ideas with each other when we got new toys we talked about them we compared them we played together so i really think it's 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 important to understand them as a much more prominent centerpiece of our lives than the toys of today, which for our kids really are, are important, but they're definitely more of a side dish. There's something to do when it's time for a screen break, I feel like. <laughs> exactly. My first entry into our little toy hall of fame is a line that, while not quite as revered as the ones we just mentioned, the sort of top tier, most popular ones that everybody knows. I think it's just as great. Uh, at least the toys were. I wouldn't say this is a, as obscure as some of the other stuff we're going to talk about, but Mask has not stayed in the public's nostalgic consciousness in the same way that something like Transformers and He-Man has. So these toys, all right, here's the story. So there's Mask, M-A-S-K. They're the good guys. Now Mask stands for 
Mobile Armored Strike Command with a K. Uh, <laughs> kind of a stretch, but okay. I get it. Look, better that. Better spell command with a K than mask with a C. So you tell your parents you want some mask toys and they go out and they're like, M-A-S-C, what is this? Does he mean mask? Does he mean that the, the Cher movie? <laughs> Are there toys of that? And they bring home some awful Eric Stoltz doll that, you know. <laughs> but uh, so there's mask. And then they're the bad guys. Venom. The vicious, evil network of mayhem. Look, it's dumb, but I mean, at least they didn't have to switch out any of the letters to make it work. And the main bad guy's name is literally Mayhem, Miles Mayhem. So it's his network of evil stuff. So whatever. That checks out. That checks out. It checks out. Um, So the toys were transforming vehicles. It was a vehicle-based toy line. There was the Condor, a motorcycle that turns into a helicopter, the switchblade, a helicopter that turns into a jet fighter. The shark, which was this Porsche 928 that turned into a submarine. Uh, they were really cool. Some were definitely cooler than others. For example, the, the leader of the good guy's vehicle was a sports car, like this red kind of Camaro looking sports car that transformed into a jet by uh, opening its doors. It had these <laughs> it had these gullwing doors that popped up. You pushed a button and the doors popped up and it's like, look, kids, it's a plane now. Like, so they really kind of phoned that one in. We didn't learn I think. a lot about functional aerodynamics from our toys. But look, you can't have everything, okay? <laughs> there were jets that just ripped the doors <laughs> off this guy's car whenever he tried to transform. Uh, there was the Rhino, which was sort of their big centerpiece toy. It was this uh, big semi-truck cab. That part of it turned into like a mobile command center. That's uh, command with a K, and the back section came off into like this other little tank. It was really cool. Now all these these vehicles came with their own action figure and their mask, hence the name, uh, which were actually more like little helmets, but whatever. Each one had each mask had their own its own special power. The leader of the good guys, Tracker Matt Tracker. That's Tracker with two Ks, by the way. There's a theme here. I'm not sure what it is. They love their case. Uh, his mask was uh, called Spectrum. It could allow him to see in different visual spectrums and shoot lasers. Uh, the motorcycle helicopter guy had Mirage. His mask could project holograms. The bad guy, uh, his mask shot acid. I mean, none of them actually did anything. The little toys didn't do anything. You, but, you know, you just pretended like on the cartoon that they were doing all these things. And there were really cool figures. The masks came on and off. But here's the thing. They were tiny. They were probably like two-thirds the size of a Star Wars guy, which was, that had become sort of the default action figure size, right? They were 3.75-inch figures. Uh, G.I. Joes were that size. Mm. Most toys were that size, but mask guys were little. They were, like I said, about two-thirds that size. And I get it. These these The vehicles themselves were really cool, uh, different transformations and stuff. I, it would have been cost-prohibitive to make these at that same G.I. Joe scale. So, but it was still a little disappointing it was a little weird to play with these guys with your other figures. Your other figures couldn't use the vehicles, uh, but they were still great. Yeah, I always felt like they were from another dimension due to their small size. They were just kind of doing their own thing, and you really couldn't integrate them into other toy lines because it just didn't match up. And the vehicles, while they were kind of a perfect size on their own, it was just so unfortunate that you also couldn't use them with other figures. Yeah, they were, they were kind of like the He-Man guys in that way. But at least He-Man 
like the Masters of the Universe toys were their own like weird sci-fi fantasy kind of thing. Whereas these guys felt like they should totally be playing alongside G.I. Joe. Whatever. Like I said, they were still great. There was a cartoon. And this is just the classic example of a show being created for the sole purpose of selling toys, right? So many of our shows back then, our cartoons were just 22-minute long commercials. <laughs> uh, I don't remember the show very well. The opening theme song and the intro was definitely a classic. That was great. So before we continue on our journey and talk about some other toys that definitely have shows or movies with all of that sweet, sweet cross-marketing, I want to talk about a couple of toys that somehow evaded that fate. The first one is one that is near and dear to my heart, and it was released in 1978 by Mattel, and he was called Sucker Man. Very creatively named. And Sucker Man was this weird plastic toy, kind of a, a one-off, a standalone toy. Again, kind of foreign, I think, to kids these days that is not part of a set. It's not part of a universe. It's not something that has more backstory behind it. It was just this individual toy. And it kind of uh, looked a little bit like a vampire on his face, kind of pointed ears and fangs. And then he had this kind of scaly skin that was vaguely reptilian. And his thing was that he had suction cups all over his body, this kind of soft kind of... Um, vinyl plastic and i think the idea was you could throw him against something smooth like a wall or a glass window and he would stick to it and then he might actually kind of fall down the window as sort of the suction cup slipped and broke he would kind of roll or fall down the window in this sort of creepy way and this guy was pretty big he was about 16 inches tall he had 28 suction cups on both the front and back of his body and the plastic he was made out of was at least the color i had i had a green one and it had sort of this frosted or powdery finish in the texture was almost chewy it kind of reminded me of swedish fish kind of my favorite candy it made me made me hungry when you play with it and what was so neat about this is that it didn't do anything it just had suction cups right <laughs> but it became a beloved toy we played with this all the time he became a monster for our other action figures because he was so big compared to the gi joe guys and really was just one of those things that was always in the toy chest kind of always around and at the ready i feel like that was its own genre of toy back then sort of very early 80s late 70s a monster with a monster standalone monster toy with some kind of gimmick yes right somebody got an idea for a toy and they turned it into a, a monster and we these are some of our favorite toys we loved these weird monster toys that had this one weird thing that they did uh, and they were so endearing and there were others indeed a year later a very similar concept in a lot of ways came out in the form of this figure called crusher also with a k so crusher <laughs> i'm sensing was, a theme here there's a weird theme like special k cereal i don't know uh, a big green guy kind of like sucker man also somewhat reptilian in a way because sucker man was kind of flat he was almost like noodly whereas crusher was really 3d he was kind of sculpted and muscular and really a neat really a beautiful sculpt i mean it was kind of a neat artwork brought to life also very reptilian but his conceit was even weirder than suction cups he had like a belt and there was a valve on the back 
back of it. So you could undo the valve and then squish them down, squish out all the air to kind of crumple them up. Then you could close the valve and you'd seal him up in this deflated rubber ball state. And then when you twisted the valve open again, air would quickly suck back inside. It would reinflate him to about 14 inches of height. So it was this weird, kind of a weird conceit, but fun and really scary looking. And again, an awesome monster to fight all of your other guys because he was enormous and frightening looking, even though he didn't move, you know, he was sort of fixed in this bodybuilder bicep flex position. But again, this toy lived in our toy chest for more than a decade and was incredibly durable. I mean, we beat the heck out of it. We threw it around. It was just truly that they don't make them like that anymore. And what I love is that these monstery things really were just part of our childhood. I have to bring up one last uh, creature in this trifecta of weird gimmicky monster rubber toys. Yes. And that is Grigori the Bat. <laughs> it's like Gregory, but he's gory. So they call them Gree-Gory. It was this bat, this vampire bat, and God, I remember exactly what the rubber on this thing felt like. Mm. He was a bat, and he had uh, a weird see-through window on his torso, his little bat torso, and there was a rubbery button on the back, and you would push, and blood, some kind of goo, whatever this stuff was made out of, this bloody goo would like pump through this little window on his belly, and... That's all it did. It was this big bat. His little feet had, uh, like, holes, so you could, like, hang him from a pencil or something. And we probably just used him as a, as a big monster for our other guys and just sat there and, like, pumped the button on the back and watched the blood stuff come out. But uh, what a fascinating trend. These monsters that did, you know, somebody had a weird idea for a toy. And it turned into these these monsters that are some of our most endearing toys. It's so true. And we got to see them, or some of these toys, recently when you were rewatching the 80s horror movie Creepshow. Yes. Right? There was that random bedroom shot of the creepy little boy at the beginning of the movie. And they actually showed a few of these favorites. Hanging from the ceiling is the Rodan monster that went along with Godzilla. Mm. Uh, Godzilla himself, the weird Godzilla with the hands that shot off like rockets for some reason. <laughs> I sent you the a screenshot when I was watching Creepshow. I sent you a screenshot of the scene like, oh, my God, it's Crusher and Rodan. And you, more than those, were, were surprised at another toy that was on the shelf. Yes, it just blew my mind and I was overcome with nostalgia. There was a little, I don't know how you describe him, like a little horned monster or troll looking guy, kind of a beefy plastic toy, maybe about four or five inches tall. And he had these big horns and almost like a beard, like a red beard. And I got that toy at some toy store when I was a kid and he was real chunky and tough. Like, so it again, lived in the toy chest and was one of those things I just really loved. And to see it on the shelf after all these years, you know, in that picture again, it just brought a huge wave of memories rushing back again. I think the only thing that moved on that figure is the torso twisted. So you could sort mm. of twist the torso and the legs, but there were literally no moving parts beyond that. Really incredible. The other toy line I want to talk about today on the show was from LJN, which was a great company. I, I think we need to do a, an LJN episode between their Nintendo games and their toys. Their Dungeons and Dragons toy line was fantastic. Now, these toys came out in 83 and they were only on the shelves for about a year or so. And part of the problem, I think, was they didn't have that tentpole media thing, a show or well, I mean, there was a show. There was a D&D &D Saturday morning cartoon that we absolutely loved. 
that you have actually been rewatching for an upcoming uh, episode about Saturday morning cartoons that we're going to do. I've been delightfully binging it again, and it is so wonderful. I can't wait to talk to you about it in detail. Now, these toys were kind of more related to the the game, the the role-playing game D&D. There was a tenuous sort of connection between the two, right? There were some characters from the toy line that showed up in the cartoon, but it was not, uh, this toy line was not based on the cartoon, which in hindsight may have been a mistake. I think that's right. I, I think that because the people playing D&D were generally much older than we were. We weren't playing it at this point, you know, not really until high school did we get into any kind of role-playing games. Back in 83, Little kids, I feel like, weren't playing D&D. It was this very mysterious sort of thing that older uh, fantasy geeks were doing. And maybe Satan worshippers, apparently. Perhaps Satan worshippers, probably. <laughs> no, our older siblings who were smoking pot and listening to Led Zeppelin and reading Lord of the Rings. Like, this was a, a gateway. Mm. I remember a friend of mine showed me D&D, like, the window of the dad's closet. Like, it was this thing, like, you know, and pulled out this box, like, hey, man, you got to look at this. It was like, you know, these books and crazy dice and they're like, it's a game. And I'm like, a game? Where's the board? Like, how do you play the game? And it was a crazy <laughs> thing. So we only knew D&D from the cartoon. But uh, I was introduced to this toy line by a friend who, it was this kid who lived out of town. And his dad was a friend of my older brother. And he was in town with dad once in a while. And we always played action figures together. And when he would show up, it would be like, hey, like what, like what you got? Like what toys have you gotten? What guys have you gotten since the last time we hung out? We'd always show off our action figures that we've gotten since the last time we were together. And can we just pause for a moment to point out how cool that is and how totally strange that might seem to kids of today? That was the currency. We, we were, you know, there were baseball card kids and sports card kids. That was not our currency. This was our currency, action figures and cool toys. So one time we hung out, uh, we, you know, we're like, hey, I got this, I got this. And he waited until I showed off all my stuff, all my new G.I. Joes and Transformers or whatever. And it was seriously, it was like, do you remember the the business card scene in American Psycho? Where <laughs> yes. Christian Bale is like, check this out. And the other guy is like, well, that's great. But look at this. <laughs> like he waited until I showed all my cards. And then he's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Look at this guy. And he pulled out this action figure that was so, to this day... We talk about this guy, one of our favorite toys of all time, War Duke. At the time, I didn't know what he was or where he came from. I, I just knew that I had to have him. This was the coolest action figure I had ever seen. He was clearly a bad guy, clearly like a fantasy figure. He had a sword and a shield. He had glowing red eyes under a helmet with what looked like dragon wings on it. He had spikes, uh, a shield with some kind of horn skull on it. He was just badass. I've got a little surprise for you, Biggs. I've saved this until now, till the recording of this episode. Ooh. There's something I have to show you. Something I've acquired recently. <gasps> this is a vintage, complete War Duke figure. I'm speechless. I love it. He has everything. The sword and the shield. Is that a tear shield? rolling down your cheek that I see? Absolutely. Or I might just have something in my eye. I acquired this on eBay.com not long ago for... um. Look, can you put a price tag... On the joy <laughs> you experience as a child seeing this figure for the first time. Tangible nostalgia. Tangible nostalgia. You can put a price tag on it, and it turns out it's three forty nine ninety nine plus shipping. <laughs> you better be kidding. 
There's no bend in the sword, which this action figure was prone to. Yes, yes, I believe mine was quite bent. I'm just kidding. He was like $25. But I had to buy him. He's magnificent. He was by far the coolest figure of the of the line. But there were many others, and um, they were great toys. They had a lot of detail. And again, we didn't know, other than the cartoon, we didn't know Dungeons & Dragons. But these were cool, very detailed fantasy toys with a ton of accessories and weapons and helmets and armor. And what's neat about this line is there was different kinds of toys in it. There were uh, larger figures. There were sort of some rubbery, bendy kind of monsters and stuff that I had. And there were a couple of bigger monsters, two really cool toys that we both had. Mm-hmm. There was the um, Hook Horror, a standard D&D bad guy, this cave-dwelling, uh, beaked monster with two big muscular arms that ended in hooks, and the winged dragon uh, that was basically a cross between like a lion and a dragon. And those were such great monsters that we were able to play with them, mix and match them with a lot of our other favorite guys. They were absolutely beautiful. Well, and as your uh, Warduke is so beautiful even to this day, what was neat is that they were somewhere between the lower fidelity action figures that we had that often had sloppy paint jobs that, you know, clearly were less detailed, but they, these were not as quite as high end as the collectible type of figurines that were way more expensive. These still felt like they were playable and a bit more durable. In fact, the hook horror was really a heavy piece of plastic. It was really tough. And I think that's maybe why they had their downfall because they were sort of marketing to us in a way, but we weren't D and D fans and the real collectors who were playing actual D and D saw these probably still as toys, but boy, we were lucky to have them. They were great toys. Like you say, very playable, great toys. And they just didn't take off. I had a lot of them and just about all of them were from the sort of bargain aisle, right? Toys R Us which was our main spot for getting stuff, had this aisle of bargain toys, and it was a gold mine. The amount of, the sheer amount of action figures you were able to get for your money was astounding. And that's where I got a lot of these guys, because sadly, you know, they were only on shelves for about a year, but most of them ended up there. There's this uh, great story in my family of the first time I was allowed to ride my bike to Toys R Us by myself and i've done the the research on google maps it says a bike ride now would take about 16 minutes i mean i'm sure i could cover less ground back then we were little it was probably close to a 20 25 minute bike ride and this was something that now like thinking of like our kids letting our kids do this uh now seems insane especially right at our age yeah right? we were only like 10 years old um but i went and i had i want to say about 30 bucks worth of saved up like birthday money and allowance money in my pocket and i hit that bargain aisle and it was like whoa these figures are all like a buck a piece i can go nuts and get like this amazing assortment of toys and then it's like well which toys which would go best with which and like doing the math in my head, trying to mix and match, trying to maximize my Toys R Us money. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I see my dad walking towards me with this look on his face that I'd never seen before. And I was like, Dad, what are you doing here? And he's like, what what are you doing here? You have been gone for three hours. (laughs) And your mother is literally sick, worried about you. And I was like, 
oh, I'm trying to pick out some guys, man. Like, <laughs> I can get like 30 guys. How do I supposed to? So it was, yeah, it was hilarious. Uh, I'd been gone for hours and I had no idea. Uh, I'd canvassed the whole store. And that's what we did every time we went to Toys R Us. We would cover the whole store. Every time we went there, we would go like it, wh- whatever we were looking for. We would, you know, front to back, walk the whole store, look at everything. Um, so I would apparently been there for hours picking out guys. Then it's like, well, what can I fit in my backpack and ride home on my bike? A lot of calculations, a lot of big decisions, a lot of calculations. But right. We could kill a whole day in Toys R Us. And again, that's something else. You guys, we didn't have the Internet. The big thing each year was the Sears catalog, which, you know, shortly after Christmas time was lost. So you might get occasional junk books or, you know, mail or catalog type things to look through. But Toys R Us was our showcase. We could spend a whole Saturday there, right? We'd ride our bikes, park outside, jump in and just, yeah, go through it and case it over and over and over. I mean, we knew it better than probably most of the employees. We could find anything. We looked for changes. And of course, when the video game aisles became a thing, then that's where we spent most of our time. But still, we would often check to see some of the technology and the musical keyboards and even the train sets and stuff was interesting to see where those were going. There was another fantastic toy line that also no one else seems to remember except for us, and that was Crystar by Remco. These first appeared on the shelves around 1982, and when they came out, they really were in isolation. But unlike what we were just talking about, they did eventually have a comic book connection. And that series actually was pretty interesting because it was produced by Marvel. Right. And that came out the following year, which was a little weird. It seems like maybe the comics should have come out first and then the figures or maybe at the same time. But it was weird to have the figures first. And I think we both assumed that they were created like everything else we've been talking about today just to sell the toys, uh, especially because those toys hit the shelves first. But it turns out that it wasn't the case at all. Kristar and all of these characters really were initially conceived by Marvel, and then it was their idea to license it out as a toy company. So kind of interesting that this happened, and there was even some crossover appearances, right? Yes. No, this is fascinating because this was a legit Marvel Comics property that they came up with. Uh, Doctor Strange shows up in the 11-issue run, uh, Nightcrawler from the X-Men. I don't remember the comic very well. But uh, it's funny, like you said, we assumed that it was created to sell the toys, but uh, no, it's totally, totally wasn't a legit Marvel property. Now, I had uh, a couple of these figures, but to me, these have always been your toys. Like, I always associated them with you. I was very lucky growing up. I had pretty indulgent parents, and I was four years older than my next brother, so I think there were a lot of opportunities to buy me toys and stuff to keep me out of trouble and keep us from getting into trouble with each other. Especially when he was little, he would terrorize my room and destroy all my stuff. So there were often reasons to sort of recompensate me for, for the damage done. And we did have an amazing set of toys, but these guys in some ways were centerpieces. They were, first of all, the figures themselves were beautiful. They were based on this mythology about a crystal king and a crystal prince and what's fascinating is that the figures themselves use this gem-like translucent plastic and they're kind of beautiful to behold they had swords and shields and helmets lots of cool little little accoutrements and i'd never seen anything like them and frankly still haven't seen anything quite like them the good guys uh, included Kristar, who was kind of the main character of the prince he was a light blue color his man-at-arms warbo who was beautiful emerald green 
And then there were some bad guys that were fashioned to look like molten lava. They were aptly named the Magma Men, and their leader was called Moltar. Really visually inventive, creative. And they also came with this weird little add-in to the package, these prisms that didn't serve much of a purpose, but they were kind of cool. And we we rewatched one of the old 80s commercials for them. And it's so great. And they're like, and each action figure includes a prism that lets you see the world like this. And they just show you <laughs> with the kind of bee's eye or fly's eye view of the world. Kind of random, but funny. And then there was a central character that sort of was the regent who was the uncle of both Kristar and Moltar. And he was neutral in their dispute. And to signify this, he was molten on the bottom and crystalline on top. So just totally cool, creative, interesting characters. Old lava legs, we called him. <laughs> Old lava legs, that's right. And I, of course, we learned about these characters long before we knew about the comic, but I actually did manage to pick up two issues of the comic, and I still have them in their bags uh, from way back when. And they actually are kind of a neat read. I mean, it's very Marvel, but they were a bit racy, especially, I think, for our age back then, and kind of confusing. I also, as we've, we've referenced this concept a number of times throughout the podcast, that we didn't have a way to look at things holistically. Like, so if you got issue four, that's all you knew. There was no, you couldn't check issue one. You couldn't go to Wikipedia and get a summary. You couldn't pop on YouTube to hear somebody give you the basics. No, you just kind of were struggling and were like, huh, this seems, you know, this story is in media race. I don't know where it's going, but I will say uh, in part due to your encouragement or enabling, depending on how you call it, Mm -hmm. I have just ordered the entire 11 issue run. There are only 11 issues, but from eBay. And I'm so excited to delve a little bit more deeply into their lore. I'm excited for you too as well we spent these toys we spent countless hours with these things playing at your house it's how we spent the vast majority of our time at least like i said earlier until nintendo came out i remember after the the second christmas we had the nes the original nintendo entertainment system that friend of mine who introduced me to war duke that we would get together every so often and compare action figures and stuff he showed up at my house after that christmas and was like, hey, what toys did you get? And I was like, uh, I got Nintendo games, man. He's like, oh, no, no action figures. And I was like, it's 1987, nerd. Nobody plays with action figures anymore. It's like the scene in Goonies where he says, this is the little boy's room. This is the little girl's room. And everyone starts going to the other room. He goes, where are you guys going? This is the men's room, Mikey. The men's room. <laughs> uh, in hindsight, I feel a little bad about it. And I think that was actually the last time he came over to play toys with me. So it's a little sad. Uh, if you're out there, Aaron, sorry. Um, thank you for War Duke. Thank you for all the good times. Um, <laughs> and it's so funny. My kids, so while we played with action figures and then moved on to Nintendo, Nintendo tapes, my oldest kid right now, who is about eight and a half, is going through like the opposite situation. His relationship with toys is just so different than ours was. So imagine if we had the NES from the beginning. Like we had, you know, he he has an iPad and access to the Nintendo Switch and Xbox. So how into action figures would we have been had we had this access to amazing video games uh, from an early age? But recently he started to show an interest in toys he was at his grandparents' house the other day and got really into a Transformers figure that they had there. And he came home 
asking if he can get some more, some action figures. Hashtag gateway drug. Right? <laughs> and, I mean, we do have some. We have we have some toys and action figures, but they definitely skew younger. Like, they were from when he was pretty little. So I've been uh, looking into some stuff to get him to play with. And I've come to the conclusion that toys today are just garbage. They're just garbage. When you When you compare the new quote-unquote transformer that he was playing with to ours the real ones the plastic honestly feels like it could have been uh packaging for one of our toys <laughs> it's ju- like i showed you the bumblebee transformer he was playing with like it would have been a good happy meal toy when we were kids and this is now a 25 dollar toy you buy at the store wow the last time you and i went to a uh, comic-con here in chicago there was a, a toy vendor, a booth, that had an old Castle Grayskull for sale. And we saw it and both caressed it lovingly <laughs> like old weirdos. We both said at the time, oh my God, like this plastic, toys aren't made out of this stuff anymore. And it made me think of this whole thing, having this kid with his garbage toys, made me think of my older siblings who were quite, quite a bit older than we are, uh, and they grew up with... The real G.I. Joes, right? Like these big, detailed, uh, like 12-inch tall figures with uniform, like fabric uniforms with working zippers and buttons and all this crazy stuff. Like to them, our toys, our G.I. Joes were just plastic garbage. And yeah, I guess technically they were. You know, our guys were just these little plastic figures. All the detail, the grenades and pouches and knives it was all just painted on. Um, they couldn't hold a candle to the old toys. And yet, here we are, recording a podcast about them. And we're certainly not the only ones. We're not the only podcast out there talking about these old toys. Uh, there are YouTube videos and kids who grew up in the 80s are buying back all our old stuff on eBay. So either we are all uh, emotionally and developmentally stunted man children. <laughs> plausible. Plausible. Plausible, yes. Or um, our stuff really was special. Or por qué no los dos? Maybe a little more of the first one. Uh, no, I think the st- our stuff really was special. I mean, the 80s, as we said before, such this explosion of creativity and that definitely spilled over into our toys. They were just a big part of our life, our story. Speaking of stories, there is a toy-related story that, uh, <laughs> that has become an important part of our story, Biggs, our shared history, mythology. Uh, it's a story you have passed down to your children, <laughs> and I one day will pass down to mine. I think it's time for the world. And by the world, I mean all six of our listeners to hear this story as well. Do you agree? Let her rip. Well, then gather round, children. <laughs> gather round old Uncle Barney. Sit on his knee. And No, don't. that was creepy. Forget. <laughs> don't sit on his knee. <laughs> but gather round as I tell the tale that I like to call The Ballad of Mr. Do-Anything. Perfect. One day, when I was, I've 
I've done the research in terms of what toys came out what year, and I want to put this at about 83. Definitely not before 83. It was right around there somewhere. I came home from school one day, and my mom told me that there was a new kid in the neighborhood, and he didn't have any friends yet, and I had to go play with him. Now, I don't know how she found this out. Uh, I don't know if she met this kid's mom at the store or something and realized we lived around the corner from each other. I don't know. Uh, I was not real keen on the idea. Much like I feel uh, today in adulthood, I'm good with friends. <laughs> I've got plenty. And by plenty, I mean, like, you. Uh, I don't need any more. Despite my wife's efforts to send me on play dates with other men. <laughs> She'd be like, oh, so-and-so's uh, dad. Look, he has a Star Wars shirt on, too. He likes Star Wars. You guys should hang out. Anyway... I, you know, I was like, whatever, okay. So I gathered up all my stuff, all my best stuff, my best guys, and uh, I headed around the corner to this kid's house. Now, this kid, um, who shall remain nameless, let's call him, uh, I don't know, let's call him Owen. It's just a random name <laughs> that came to me. So I go over to Owen's house, and his mom's very nice, invites me in. We go up to his room. Uh, and he has some guys as well, some good stuff. And we start to play. And look, there are just sort of unspoken rules and etiquette about playing guys, action figures with another kid. And, you know, you were certainly great to play with. Uh, War Duke kid, he was great to play with. We all kind of got it. Our friend Owen did not get it. <laughs> um he starts, you know, I would be like, oh, I got you. And he's like, no, you didn't. And, you know, stuff like this. And I was like, okay, whatever. I'll, it's, it's our first time playing together. Sometimes you got to find a rhythm, get into a groove. Uh, we did not. There was no groove. He just got worse and worse to play with. And the whole awful situation culminated when he was using uh, this action figure. who was just a regular guy, like a grunt, a soldier. He was a G.I. Joe guy. He was a Cobra tank driver. Okay, nothing special about him. And I pull up to him in said tank. I was playing with the tank. He was playing with the guy and blasted him. And uh, he goes, Jew! and like dodges out of the way. And I'm like, dude, it's a tank. And I'm like five feet away from you. I'm clearly going to hit you with this tank. And he's like, no, you're not. Because I can fly! And he starts oh, flying no. around with this action figure. And I was like, oh, you, you can't fly, man. You're just a regular guy. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm Mr. Do-Anything! And starts meow, flying around the battlefield, <laughs> knocking all my guys over, throwing my stuff all over the place. And that was it. I was like, oh, okay, buddy. I, I think we've done, we're done here. I think I've done my be nice to the new kid duty. And so I start packing up my stuff and he gets mad. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, guy, look, I got a thing uh, back home. I got to take off. It's been real. He's like, you're not going anywhere. We're not finished. I was like, oh, we're finished. And so he like red in the face, mad. Just staring me in the eyes the whole time. He stomps over to the window, his bedroom window and throws it open. And I was like, oh my God, this kid, this kid's going to start like throwing my, my toys out the window or something. 
That would have been like a far more reasonable response than what actually happened. <laughs> Our man Owen takes off his shoes and hucks them out the window. And again, staring at me with these crazy eyes the whole time, yells, Mom, Barney threw my shoes out the window. And I hear her downstairs, Hey, what? And she comes stomping <laughs> up the stairs, and uh, there he is with no shoes, window open, me packing up my stuff, and she's like, Barney, you need to leave right now. And I was like, if you insist. I was like half, half out the door. Um, and I went home, and I told my mom she is never going to choose my friends for me ever again. And that's how it ended. That's the story of Owen, little quotes, uh, and Mr. Do-Anything. It's an incredible story, and my children tell this story now because it's just so absurd and so hilarious. Just to, the creativity to think to throw your own shoes out the window and then frame you for it is it, really quite quite advanced. Owen went on to be a state senator. No, I'm only kidding. We don't know what ever happened to Owen. But uh, This episode, more than ever, I think it is important to uh, go to McQuaidArcade.com, click on Bonus Stage to check out this episode's Bonus Stage blog, or... There's a handy-dandy uh, link in the podcast notes that you can click uh, to get some photos and stuff. Like, this is very visual. I want you to see all the toys we're talking about. I want you to see Biggs's face when I showed him my Warduke toy, that single tear rolling down his cheek. <laughs> um, yeah, McQuaidArcade.com, bonus stage. Check it out for sure. And this is uh, the first of probably many episodes about our, our toys from the 80s. Indeed. We got to cover some of our favorites that stand out, but there are still so many more to talk about. And it really makes me think about the last few years that we really did play with our figures before we were too old to do so, and how I used to pack them all up in the big Crystal Castle box from the Crystar universe and pack them all away, put them back in the closet. And as we do that at the end of this episode, we, we put them away lovingly with a promise to open that box again and explore some of those favorites that maybe we didn't get to today in future episodes. And on that note, we remind you to stay limber. <laughs>